my cap and gown arrived today. I'm like, this is awkward. But are you, are you going to wear it around the house tomorrow? No, I literally, I put, I put on the cap cause my girlfriend's working from my apartment right now. Cause she's working from home, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, walked in with my cap and get, or my cap and uh, tassel on and she like obviously freaked out and took pictures, but uh, it was <laughs> good. Great. It was cool. Welcome to growth. Number eight, May, 2020. Size. But, uh, yeah, so I, I had a full 24 hours of not downtime, but just between time. I was like, you know what? I want to launch a newsletter, like a once a week newsletter for Amazon sellers. And like literally all it is, is it's a three part email. It's one important piece of news from the week. So this comes out every Friday. It's one new resource. So like a blog or a podcast that I was like, man, this was really impactful. And it's, you know, it's important. It's contextual that gets included. And then one new tool that I've found useful. Right. And so it's not just Amazon tools, if that makes sense. Like one of the things I'm including is like monkeylearn.com, which is like off the shelf machine learning models, which you can use as a PL seller if you want to like get sentiment analysis or like keyword extraction, like some cool stuff. So um, I set it all up. And what's great is I have Zapier creating the entire email for me in MailChimp, pulling data from Airtable. So it's like my nerdy automation just got upgraded <laughs> really fast because this took like three hours just to get the newsletter creation process down pat but like it works and then um i've been playing around with a lot of what's considered no code tools that are getting kind of popular like you know visual editors things like that right so i'm using um a tool called bubble.io for building the landing page and like collecting emails right so like it was pretty cool i got it all set up in under a week um fully functional then yesterday you know officially like made it live and now we're we're coming up on like 200 subscribers with like within like 12 hours which is pretty pretty cool but it's amzweekly.com is is i I don't know how i'm getting these amazing like domain names by the way (laughs) (laughs) like we got welcome to growth.com which was a huge surprise and then amzweekly.com was like this is awesome so yeah launch a launch a new little project but it's highly automated so it'll take me maybe an hour a week to really do it i love it i love especially low effort email campaign tools oh god yeah i don't know i don't know if i would recommend someone using mailchimp manually (laughs) if they can help it's there's just so much going on there i've used it before i've used mailchimp i've used active campaign i've used campaign monitor um i i used i use sendfox right now yeah from the the app sumo noah kagan yeah yeah it's i love how simple and featureless it is if that's if that even makes sense, like yes, yeah. that's, that's actually like, that's a plus. It gets rid of the fluff. Right. And like, I think that's where MailChimp, I'm not a huge fan of using MailChimp for like active campaign kind of things only because there's so many button clicks to get one thing done. Mm-hmm. But what's great is they do integrate with Zapier. So one, I can have it create a campaign and like it be dynamically created. Like, like Zapier creates the subject lines. It creates the entire email body for me based off the data I have stored in Airtable. But you can also now say, also just send it for me, right? So, or schedule it for me. So a lot of that stuff, I don't, I just don't have to do, which it works. It's cheap, but yeah. I, it gets the job done. Yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> I I paid for the lifetime, uh, the lifetime SendFox deal through AppSumo.com. You know, 49 bucks. 
and I was like, all right, this is this is basically going to become free here pretty soon. Like it's, you know, I I was paying I think ten dollars just for like the base with the campaign monitor, and like I was barely using it. Like even at that base level, right there's there's just so much that I just didn't I didn't need I didn't need to care yeah. about. Comes I just needed some basic editor to send emails and schedule emails and a place to collect emails. Like that was it. Like there's right, you know. I was like, I was five steps away from just building it myself. I don't ultimately know where I was going with that, but I think it's, I think it's neat that, that you've built this. Of course, I plugged my email address in there. Hey, I like it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So it's going to be as of we're recording the following Friday. Um, Cause I wanted to, one, I wanted to see how many people could get on it before I released the first batch of data. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's, that's aggregated data, right? So like, I don't want to waste it. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, this I think this is a a good example of when you have an idea, how do you make it as as like MVP as possible and as cheap as possible? Um I could have got fancy. Like the landing page is certainly not beautiful, but like it works and I built it from scratch. Um, but it didn't take me that long to do. And within a week I got this thing up and running and people interested. And what's great is I even validated it before I built anything. I was like, you know, in our Facebook group, hey, it, here's a simple poll, yes or no. If I did this thing and here's what it would include, would you want that or not? And like, I think two people said no. And one of them was just being a smart ass because I know him, <laughs> but I know he act, he actually signed up, which is funny. Um, but I had like 100 people say yes. I'm like, well, that's plenty for me. If I have 100 people reading this every single week, to me, that's pretty cool. Like, that's a success, um, you know, zero to one, super fast. Um, and yeah, I haven't even really started to promote it. I think. The only thing I did was share it in our Facebook group. And then I sent out an email this morning to, to our, our newsletter, you know, a different newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, for the company, right? So lots of exposure, certainly. But, you know, we, we have a lot of people that I know in this space that would promote it. Like, it's free, right? Like, it's completely free. Like, I'm not making money from it. And it's just something I'm doing to add value. So I'm going to start reaching out to some people um, now that I know people are interested and just... The goal is how do I get a thousand people reading this every single week, like actively like that's that's pretty cool to me. So, yeah, that's that's the new project. It falls squarely in what we talked about in an earlier episode, uh, real early episode about if you're going to build something you know, don't, don't, don't spend a ton of time on it. If no. it's going to take you your entire life, you know, re- redirect those resources elsewhere. If you have the ability to make something easy and quick that gets the job done, do it. You know, there's, there's, you're going to get a lot more value, a lot, a lot quicker there. I guarantee you people are, are like looking at the landing page, like this looks terrible. You're not wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's not built to, to win design awards. It's built to function, to be a proof of concept, right? So like, that's the cool thing. I can always go back and pay somebody or spend two weeks if I want to to say, let's redesign a landing page that looks, you know, 10 times better, like way better. It's not worth doing that until I have like a thousand people on it, right? Let's talk about that line height on that, that, that hero right there. It's so uh, <laughs> I, I did. I, I know you're, you're, I'm just quietly nitpicking here, but that's, that's, that's just how I am. <laughs> it's bad. I'm, but that's the point, right? Like, here's the cool thing. I chose Bubble because it's a, it's considered like a no code, you know, website builder and like an app builder to a certain degree. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a front end guy. You know what I mean? Like, I can I can build like Python scripts, but I'm not building anything that's like public facing. So guess what, James? 
if you're listening, you need to fix that. <laughs> now, listen, I could if I if I spent like a week or two solely focused on like making that amazing. I could I threw that up in an hour. And that's like me learning the tool, by the way. So that, that it, it proves my point. <laughs> because I am the way I am. And this would take me a, a lot more than an hour to put right. up because I just I wouldn't be I wouldn't be satisfied with anything that I was making. And it ended up taking all weekend. I have. Yep. It, it, it's a flaw. I find myself over engineering just the most basic things just because I feel like it needs to be right the first time. It's, and honestly, it's a thing. I'm generally that way. But I just I catch myself and I'm like, listen, dude, what what do you need this to do? It needs to collect emails and get the point across as to what it is. Does what I currently have do that and function correctly? Yes. Now, uh, iteration of that is I release it and nobody signs up. Great. We have a problem. I iterate. We try it again. Right. But I think that's the point. And I think whether you're setting up a Shopify site, a regular business website, it doesn't need to be amazing. People don't care that much. You know what I mean? Like people care through what lens are they looking at it, right? Can they do the thing of which you're telling them they're able to do on this site? If yes, you're fine. Just launch it. Otherwise you put off, you quote unquote, launching that project for like a month. And by the way, you're making decisions like design decisions based off of your perspective, not what your users would want, right? Or like your customers would want, so to speak. I think that's where too many people get caught. They're like, oh, no, it's got to have this and that. It's like, but who told you it's got to have that? You or somebody who would be using the site? Because that's completely different. Because you might say that's priority number one, but you talk to 20 potential users and they tell you, I literally don't care about that. You can never have that. Who's right? Who's wrong? Right? Like your customers are right. (laughs) It's easy to over-engineer, to overthink about what it's going to look like. And it's easy to not think about it enough. So honestly, don't even try either way. Like that sounds like it sounds like a weird thing to say, but like just pick something to start and then just work through the entire project with that mindset and then go back later after you finished everything, after you validated it all and then start start tweaking. Right. Like in the in the tech space, we call build call it building an MVP. Right. You need it's minimum viable product. Build something that's completely functional that works well it's, enough it's looks like barely well enough. functional by the right. way <laughs> like it you know it needs to you know in this case you need to be able to plug in your email address we're speaking about amzweekly.com plug in your email address and you get added to a list and then the email arrives on time right like if you can meet those three requirements it doesn't necessarily matter exactly what it looks like you can deal with that later you know spending a ton of time on your design you're you're going to get yourself caught up and spending more effort than you should and you're not really going to have anything to show for it. Maybe, maybe it looks pretty, but, but, but here's the thing. The second phase to that is the feedback loop, right? And something that is talked about in the, the tech space all the time is feedback loops, right? But it's not talked about in the Amazon or the, the seller e-commerce business kind of world outside of that, I would say, at least from my personal experience, but it's so important because what you need to do is get the, the minimum viable product And I was joking a second ago, but like it should literally barely function. It should do the minimum thing that you are saying it will do. The reason for that is you get it functional enough to hand it over to a a group of users, customers, clients, whatever. And then they tell you what they love and what they hate and what they wish it happened or what what they wished um, it had and what they wish you would get rid of. So what's great is you're not making these decisions based on your own flawed assumptions and hypotheses. 
you're saying, listen, it works, but like, tell me what it's missing. Right. So I can do that right now. I, because I, I got this thing out the door so fast, we've got, you know, 200 people on it already that when they get the first email, they could be like, Hey dude, you should also have this. Well, if 80% of those people are telling me I should also have that thing, I'm probably going to build it. But one, I probably would not know what that thing is beforehand because users, clients, whatever, see things completely different than you will. And two, I'm not building that thing that they say that's stupid. I, I literally don't care. Right. So now I'm not wasting my time. Um, or what's even great is when you release it and they're like, no, it's great. Don't change anything. You're like, awesome. We hit, we hit it perfectly down the middle. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard to, I guess, like talk yourself out of doing that because you're like, oh, well, what if people think it looks stupid? Like, no, just assume it looks stupid. Like I, I'm joking right now. I'm telling you the landing page doesn't look great, <laughs> but like, that's the point. <laughs> it, it gets the job done. When I, uh, a, a job for some years ago, I worked at a, uh, a data storage company. We were building a custom, you know, enterprise level data storage hardware device. And in the early stages, you know, we, we used off the shelf hardware that was, was not significant in any way. The setup process was total ass, right? All, all that mattered in the early stages was, does it store the data? Does, is the data accessible? Does it not lose the data? Like you meet those three requirements and then you start giving it to people and say, Hey, poke at this, please. Please tell us what you think, like, you know, interacting with it, you know, let's get your feedback. And then you start adding all of the extra stuff in. And then you start making the case look decent, put your own branding on it, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like all of that superficial stuff was so far down the line. Like if you if you had seen the box in the early stage, you would have no idea that it was even something like special or just nothing commodity off the shelf. Right. And ultimately, you know, that worked out really well because in the early stages, we didn't have to focus on and spend time and money and resources on. Well, we got to make sure the front fascia looks, you know, exactly the right way here from the start or, you know, like it was just never a thought. But but here's the thing. There's always those people. And I love these people because they make me super happy. Um I'm being sarcastic. I mean, they do, but like in a sarcastic <laughs> way where they'll, they'll, they just crap on everything, right? They're like, that looks so stupid or blah, blah, blah. I could do a better job. But the caveat here is that one, they never launch anything. <laughs> and two, the whole time you're saying it looks dumb and blah, blah, blah. You could have done a better job. Well, I launched it and it's working. So like, you know, you can argue all day long about like, your site looks like crap or it doesn't do all the things it should do from day one, which you're always going to have that argument, assuming you're doing this correctly. But the point here is that like you're launching things, right? Like I could launch this. Nobody want it and nobody sign up and be like, great. Now I know, but I didn't waste two months of my time trying to build out something fancy for people to be like, yeah, dude, I don't care. I don't want that. Right. Get it in the hands of people, let them decide if they like it or not, make any tweaks. And then we're good super simple it's so crazy like it's it's the easiest thing to do in business but so many people just avoid that because i feel like they they think it's personal rejection for people to be like yeah i don't really care about that i don't like that idea and i think in in a way you know when you're building your thing for the first time if you're not used to just building stuff and getting it out there and then making it look nice later like there's i can i can relate in in the the aspect that it's when you're creating something it's kind of an extension of yourself Right. And so you almost have this self-conscious perspective on it where, you know, if somebody judges it negatively or finds some way to critique it, that's that's negative. 
it's it's easy to think that that's directed at you even though it it has nothing to do with you specifically you know because it's this is something i made out of my own creativity and my own you know design aesthetics and language and how i like things to look like if somebody doesn't like it it means they don't like you right that's it's it's a very it's, i think it's a very common very easy mindset to get into that really pulls you down because then you spent you spend hours and hours tweaking hoping that maybe you're making it perfect and then everyone's going to love it and then six months go by and you've never actually released it because you're never 100% satisfied. And here's what ends up happening too. You do get it quote unquote perfect based off your perception of it. And there's always that one person that jumps in there and goes, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. And you're like, there's always that person. And I think, cause I was definitely that person for the long period of time of just like, I didn't release anything. Cause I was like, you know, freaking out about that. Cause I, I fit that mold. Like it's an extension of me. And then I realized there's always going to be at least one person that just tells you you are the, the the antichrist, that you are just, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's not right. It's just that person is not a good fit for your business, right? And I love that too, where I guarantee you, I'm going to have somebody be like, this is the dumbest project idea I've ever heard of. Why would I ever want to give you my email? Well, don't. <laughs> like, you know, we, I, I had one person kind of do that already in a Facebook group. And I just delete, deleted the comment. Cause I'm like, dude, one, if you're, if you don't want to be a, like, if you don't want to be a part of this project, you don't have, like, you don't have to be like, nobody cares, right? Like this is for the people who want to, not for the people who don't want to. So like, I'm not even going to get into an argument and feel bad because you're like, this is a dumb idea. I'm just going to delete your comment because it doesn't add any value. And you're saying, I don't want to do this. Well, then don't <laughs> like, nobody's forcing you to do it. Right. And so you're always going to have that, but you have to get to a point where you kind of just don't care. Like you care to a degree, but, but you're always hesitant to assume that that person is a, is a good fit for what you're doing. Cause that's not the case. Like I've, I've said this all the, all day long is like, you know, not every Amazon seller is a good fit for aura. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I don't believe that every single person should use our tool because that would be naive of me to assume. Therefore, when somebody's like, Oh, I don't like, you know, your software for X reason. I'm like, yeah, well, that's not what we do. So it's it's understandable that you don't like it because like it it there's no mesh here, right? Like there's there's no good fit. Um, so regardless of what you're what you're doing, I think you should always kind of view it from that light and be like, yeah, if somebody's just going to like abnormally be basically a dick about it, well, you're just not a good fit. Move on. <laughs> Makes it easier. So I have this note, something you want to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, Sops, uh, what's your favorite bread to use? <laughs> what's my favorite bread to use? <laughs> that, that, that's a joke that definitely didn't land. It when did I, not. <laughs> when you had sent it to me, it didn't immediately occur like what you were talking about. So I'd Googled SOP and one of the okay. definitions was soak up liquid using an absorbent substance. Like a like a piece of bread dipped in gravy or soup, and I I'm sitting here thinking, how could I make this a joke? And I clearly just botched that entirely. So that's that's great. We'll just we'll just pretend that didn't My happen. Bad. My bad. <laughs> so <laughs> so, what's on your mind today? Tell me about SOPs. What are SOPs? So SOPs. So SOPs, right? So standard and or systems and procedures, uh, standard of operation. There's all kinds of like versions of SOPs. Like I've, I've I've heard like three different iterations of that. It's your process. It's how you get things done. Um, a simplest 
or a simpler, I can't speak today, I need more coffee. The simple version of SOPs is a checklist. How do you clean your car? How do you take out the trash? All these little things do matter. Um, certainly, they're more focused on the business world. I personally use them in personal world too. Um, I think just because I'm a sociopath, but either way it works, right? <laughs> you heard it here first. I know. <laughs> Here's the thing. How you get anything done is incredibly important. I don't care how minor it is. And so there's a lot of people running businesses where they can't extract themselves from it or they, they don't have clarity on it. It, it. It's always kind of saddening when I see somebody running a, a quote unquote successful business, at least from the out, outside, but on the inside of it, um, they have to work 90 hours a week. They can't hand over any task because they're not clear. They only live in their heads. You know, there's a lot of things that they think, oh, well, I'm special. Therefore, nobody could do this task like I can, or it's just something you have to know. You can't teach it. I'm sorry. That's completely wrong. Everything you do can be extracted, can be clarified, can be turned into a process that can be handed over to somebody else. Now, I have processes that are not meant to be handed to somebody else, but they're built just for me. Now, it would be easy for you to say, well, just keep it in your head. What does it matter? But it does. It actually does. Every Sunday, I have a checklist called Maintenance Day, which is like, tasks that need to get done and in what order and why do I do that? Because if I do all the things on that, that list, then the coming week is easy. It's things like meal prep. It's planning out my, my meals. It's cleaning the, the entire apartment. It's, um, it's looking at my, my goals to reverse engineer what needs to get done this week. It's looking ahead. It's looking at my calendar, what's happening for events this week that I need to prepare for that maybe I haven't before. When I do that, every Sunday and it doesn't take long. It's like an hour, maybe two hours max. The coming week is like so much better, like 10 times better. And I've tested just not doing it for a week. And it's terrible because you're like, why is everything dirty? Like, why are there no clean clothes? Why have to memorize all that stuff when I could just say, listen, every Sunday this gets triggered. I walk through it and when I'm done, I'm done. But I know for a fact that by default, everything is going to be better because of that. That's like a personal example. But let's let's talk about like business examples. Every single or every other Monday, we pay affiliates for Aura. We just do like a mass payout. Well, I still do that. But I have a process in a tool called Process Street. So process.st, fantastic tool. Integrates with Zapier, of course, like everything else in my life. But <laughs> it gets triggered and it's literally, it's, it's not complicated, but it breaks down how to do that process from start to finish. Now, I personally go through that checklist every single time. One, it ensures I don't miss anything. That would be terrible. I could miss a step. Listen, I got a lot going on. Is there a high enough probability that I could accidentally forget a step? Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and avoid that. <laughs> like, let's just make sure I'm basically like, I'm error proofing my work. Now, what's great is because I've done that, I can hand that over to somebody else. Or let's say I'm taking off Monday, therefore I'm not doing that task. Somebody else in the company has to do it. Great. It's already created. I send them the link for it. Hey, on Monday, I need you to do this task, follow the steps, check them off, we're good. There is no training. I don't have to say, hey, here's how you do it. Follow the steps. And so I was talking to an Amazon seller, just graduated, um, great business. And his hair's on fire. <laughs> He's like, listen, dude, I've got VAs. I've got people helping, but I cannot 
scale and continue to grow this business because everything lives in my head. There are so many things that should be handed over to a virtual assistant that I simply can't do because I can't extract it from my brain to paper to hand to somebody. And he's stuck. He's literally in in jail, in my opinion, right? You're in like business jail where, yeah, you got a seven-figure business, but you feel stuck. Is that really successful? I don't know. Um, Certainly people who don't have a seven-figure business goes, yeah, it is, of course, right? Like I would trade everything to be in that situation. You would until you get there and you're like, oh, now I get it. You know, we started to work on, okay, let's take one task. Let's take one thing you consistently do that is super painful and let's just start crafting something. It's like what we were talking about earlier. That SOP, that process does not have to be perfect. It does not have to start being bulletproof. It's V1, right? It's a rough draft. And then over time, you make it better. You make it simpler. You make it more effective. And what's cool is if you have a team, whether it's, you know, internal team or like an external team, like virtual assistants, part of their role can be doing that for you. Hey, I made a rough draft, walk through it and find where it can be better and make it updated for me. Make the V2 for me. Look for areas of which we could, we could actually get rid of a step and have Zapier automate parts of it. So you guys can get more done, right? We can save time. It's this beautiful thing where you start to view your business as a collection of systems. It's a machine. That's all it is, right? A business is a collection of systems. And if they're done correctly, you make money. That's it. That's business in a nutshell, right? But too many people go, no, it's because I'm pulling all these levers. My argument though is, are they the right levers? How do you know that you're working towards the thing you actually want to accomplish? And how are you ensuring that you have consistency? Because one of the things that really sucks is when you have like way too much you know, volatility in your business, right? Like one month is amazing. The next month, detrimental. Like, do you really want that much volatility in your business or would you rather have consistency? For me personally, I would rather have consistency. I'm, a, I'm actually a very risk adverse person, relatively speaking. And so having clarity on these things, you build an asset, right? You, you build things that you know, because they exist, the value of your company is higher because you can hand it over to somebody else. I mean, one one good litmus test, and we'll talk about some resources and books here too that, that you should absolutely read, um, is this idea of if you had to take a two-week vacation right now, like in the next month, let's say four weeks from now, you're gone two weeks, no phone, no connection. Could you do it? Most of us couldn't because... I, I, I don't know, like if I'm not here pulling levers, then nothing gets done. That's a problem. It's not a business. That's, that's a job you've created. Now, most businesses are jobs you created first, and then they graduate, so to speak, to businesses. I mean, listen, I'm in this boat right now. Like I, I could take two weeks off very easily. Like I can make it work, but I'm going to have anxiety and a heart attack every other day. Um, so I'm working through this too, right? These are, these are phases you go through. Um, but but I, I've had a lot of people ask, especially for the new podcast, hey, can you talk about SOPs? Can you talk about procedures and processes and, and systems and stuff like that? Yeah, let's I mean, let's let's do it. I'm as you were talking, I started thinking about uh, another past job uh, just a few years ago. One of the ways we were able to stay sane, especially if people took vacation because, you know, there's only 12 people, right? Everyone's wearing multiple hats out of necessity. We stayed sane because everybody wrote all the important shit down 
you know so if like one of the founders disappeared for whatever reason either you know vacation of their own volition or you know less unfortunate things or less fortunate things rather you knew what to do at least in a pinch if nothing else right okay it this this thing has come up all right we have we have some notes here some things to consider to take a look at to check here's you know here's plan b if that doesn't work right like that's we were able to function like a much larger organization because all of the knowledge was put somewhere. It wasn't all kept in your head like you'd mentioned. So if, you know, you do disconnect for two weeks, everyone else can fill in the gaps and it was fine. Especially with our support team was two people for a long time covering all of our customers across the entire planet. You know, because everything, we had such good documentation, everything was written down. While the the burden might be a little higher for a little while, you still have all of that knowledge readily available if you don't have an answer. I think that's incredibly important before you have any kind of, you know, process street related workflows or any kind of automation. You have to get that knowledge out of your head on paper or virtual paper, something so somebody else can reference it. Yeah, you you don't want to be the knowledge bottleneck. Like, listen, I get it. We're founders and like. We're supposed to be the gods in our businesses, but you're not like you're, you're not special. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's a good place to be at, to realize you're not, you're not special. And so like Ari Mizell, um, he, he, he has a, a company called the replaceable founder. He's like, listen, I'm not saying you're not important, but you are replaceable. Like for you to argue that you're not replaceable, nobody could do what I do. You're wrong. <laughs> and honestly, that ego trip you might be on is actually detrimental to your success. So if you can get out, outside of your own way, you can actually have a much larger company. And that's something that, you know, I've really tried to hit home with myself. And I mean, you know, Aura right now is only two people day to day. We don't release revenue figures, but it's pretty high. I mean, it's in, in terms of, you know, so a lot of software companies look at revenue per head as like a measure of efficiency. Ours is really good. Ours is like very, very good. And we measure that in, from a very important standpoint. It's like, like one, do we want to have bloat from a, a human labor standpoint? No, I don't. And again, I'm not working like 80 hours a week, you know, on one thing. I'm I'm still doing as the founder, as one of the two founders, all the customer support on top of everything else, on top of testing things, on top of growth, on top of operation stuff. And it's fine. But the reason why I'm able to do that is because we have everything written down. Now, here's what's cool. We have a guy coming on board um, three days a week to handle customer support because we're growing. Awesome. Guess what I don't have to now do and freak out about is having to go build all this documentation. It's already built. It's plug and play. Now, are there going to be things that I didn't think to build until he came in and asked about it? Of course. I'm already ready for that. I'm ready. The first two weeks, I, and what's great is, you know, I told him this on, when we were, you know, initially on, on a phone call. I was like, listen, I'm not in this role to say you work for me. When you come on board, I work for you. Because if I can make you successful, I'm successful by, by default, right? And so I'm like, listen, I've already got all the systems and procedures built out. You're good to go. Like, I'm going to teach you all this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that you're learning your job to be as easy as possible for you so that you're happier about it. But also if you're like, Dylan, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, oh, we don't have that written down. Hold on. Let me go do that for you. So now guess what? That question never exists. Or if it exists, it doesn't come to me. And there's no bottleneck of like, oh, Dylan's on vacation. He can't answer that question. We don't know how to get it done. Therefore we're stuck. No, it's built in the documentation. We're good. Having somebody point out all of those weak spots, especially early on, is one of the best things that could happen as you're growing your team. Whether you're a software company or 
an Amazon business, which is arguably a software company for Dylan say that many times. I think we've beaten that horse many times over. If you own a business, you're, you should be a software company. There it period. is. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to be able to figure out everything on your own, right? There's, there's always going to be something you missed because you're only going to look at it from one perspective. And the next person that comes in is probably going to look at it from a different perspective because they have past experiences that are different than yours. They've seen, they've seen other things. Maybe they've seen better things, more relevant things, less relevant things, right? They're going to get you thinking about new stuff. And as you keep iterating, as you keep growing, or you keep working with these individuals with different perspectives, right? Even if it's just your VAs, right? You might've gone through all of the trouble of writing everything down, creating a workflow they can jump through, check all the boxes, fill in all the fields, but there's something that just doesn't make sense to them. That's excellent feedback because now you take that and you iterate on it and you've made it better. So the next person that comes along has less struggle with it. And then by the end of it, ideally you have this perfect flow and you can disappear. You can go to Belize or, you know, drive your Lambo around somewhere in Malibu, right. you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can quote, live that life, right? Like it's, it's attainable, but it's going to take time. It's good. There's going to be a lot of progression. There's going to be a lot of trial and error. But that's all good, right? That's you want that. You absolutely if you don't have any of that, I mean either you're a genius or you're just not getting feedback, which is an entirely different topic. Or or you're 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 very um you're very what's the word? I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say volatile just for lack of better terms, and I'll I'll clarify is like if you don't have people red teaming your business and red teaming just it comes from like hacking, it, it's basically like try to break things, right? Like, tell me where I'm wrong. Like, I, I have assumptions. They may not be correct. And just because I'm the business owner doesn't mean I know everything, right? Like, just because I'm saying do this process doesn't mean it actually needs to get done because you might come in and say, oh, you know, we could pay 50 bucks a month for a tool to do that for us. And we now that task, the cost of it goes from 400 a month to 50 a month. Okay, well, I would rather do that, <laughs> right? But you need people to quote unquote red team your business and or your ideas or your projects and be like, listen, yeah, that's cool. But have you considered this or like, Hey, this could be a detriment that you haven't considered. And you're like, no, you know what? I didn't consider that. That actually could completely destroy everything. And so I think if you're not willing or comfortable to do that, then you're opening yourself up for a lot of risk that you're, you're kind of pushing to the side and sweeping under the rug. Be like, Oh, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's not going to be a problem. And then it becomes a problem when it didn't have to be. And now you're, you're every single day putting your business at risk because you're unwilling to look at your pitfalls. You're unwilling to say, why could this go wrong? You're unwilling to say, why could my business go out and close down in 12 months time? But if you're willing to ask those, those questions, you go, oh, wait, okay. Prime example, a year and a half ago, or it starts to grow. We're like, cool, this is a thing. We're doing it full time now. I'm a finance major. I said, listen, I, I can tell you we will have a recession, but I can't tell you when. We're, at that point, we were already like two years overdue. So I said, okay, we can either freak out and say, oh, it's going to happen. Therefore, we blah, blah, blah. No. Or what we can do and what we did do is say, okay, well, how could we weather that storm easily and look smart in the moment? <laughs> and that's what we did. We said, okay, well, we would need to have at least minimum three months of, of cash in the bank to cover all expenses, ideally six months. The reason for that is, okay, well, do we think that if everything goes to zero overnight, the worst case situation? We've got six months of, of cash to burn through. Could we solve that problem? Could we start another business? Could we solve another problem in the space? Yes. It's half a year. I think we could. You're, you're consistently looking for things to blow up 
and saying, how do we avoid that happening in a smart way with being rational, right? Like we're not, we're not going to say we should have two years worth of cash in the bank. Like that would be completely stupid um, to be fair, at least, you know, our size, six months is plenty plus, you know, personal emergency funds and stuff like, like we would be fine. We would be completely fine. And lo and behold, we're now in an epidemic and companies are closing because they got a little frothy and they're like, oh no, it's fine. Like nothing's going to take us out. Instead of being like, what could, what, what should we do minimally to at least weather that storm a little bit better than other companies? This is where having your employees be able to speak up and say, listen, I think this is a risk and we need to consider it. Awesome. What do you think we should do here? But you only get to that point by having, having that culture, right? I, I love telling people, listen, assume I'm wrong. <laughs> Don't be like, oh, well, the boss says this. So no, 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 no. I'm not your boss. We're, we're a team here. Tell me I'm wrong because I need to know because <laughs> trust me, if I'm wrong and I believe that I'm correct, that's a problem and that's a me problem. And so I'd rather you say, hey, dude, I think you're wrong and here's why. Oh, that makes sense. Let me update my thought process here. Now we got to shift gears, right? Like I would rather that happen than not. Um, and that's like, that's the macro, right? Like that's like the high level why all this stuff matters. But the very minimum, like the bottom Know, low level of all this is if you don't have things written down, you forget everything. Sorry, you're not a hard drive. You're a processor. Like, like your brain is a processing thing, right? It's a CPU. It's not a hard drive. So one, stop trying to memorize everything. Two, by having the steps written down, here's what I love to do. Write down all the steps of a given task. And let's assume you can't automate anything. You can't hand it over to anybody else. What's the probability do you think that we could look at all those steps from a high level on one piece of paper, reduce them and optimize that process? It's pretty high. Guaranteed 100% we can do it all day long. Um, this is taken from Ari Mizell. He's got a beautiful framework, which I'm sure we've already talked about, OAO, right? So the first thing you do is you optimize the process. You assume you can't outsource or automate it. Great. If you're doing it every single day, why wouldn't you make your life better? right? Every single day, pick one task and try to make it better. Take it from 12 steps down to 11. Do that every single day for like five years. Like you're, you're going to do great. Two, once you've optimized everything, now you can look at automating because why, why would you automate something that's inefficient, right? Like that makes no sense. Or even worse, what a lot of people do, they completely skip the automation. They completely skip the optimization and they just go, Hey, VA, do this for me. And the thought process is, well, I'm paying a VA seven bucks an hour. What does it matter? Well, because you're paying, let's say, $30 for a task to get done when it could cost you $1, but you're doing 50 of those tasks stacked up in parallel throughout the month. It does matter. And it enables you to scale. I think this is very important. Like a lot of people don't approach their businesses early on with the thought process of how does this scale? Now, you're not going to scale from day one, right? Like I can't, I can't jump into a new software project and be like, how can we support 10,000 users? Because that's over-engineering. But what you can do is you can say, okay, well, minimally, we need to be able to support at least a thousand. If we can do that, that's pretty good. But we do always need to be thinking about the fact of we want to support 10,000 at some point. Therefore, the decisions we make are based in that. Hopefully that makes sense. I know there's, there's like, there's a, there's a balance there of making that make sense conceptually, but, but the point is that you should be asking if you're, let's, let's say you're an Amazon seller with physical, physical products. And you're doing 50 units per month right now. How could you, how could you do 50,000 units per month? What would that system look like? What would that 
you know, task makeup look like? Who would you need to hire? What systems and processes would you need in place? If, if that means that your prep now expands really, really far because you want to keep that in-house, you don't want to use a prep center or something like that, that's fine. But have you quantified how you prep things? Because if you had to hand that over to somebody, how, how could you do that? Now, let's, let's ask a harder question. You're doing 50 units per month. You're going to scale to 5,000 and you can't hire somebody. You still have to do the prep work yourself. So now you got to ask an inter- interesting question. How could you prep 5,000 units as similar in time as you can to 50? Yeah, that's a crazy question. But if you ask these types of questions, you get great answers. And now you might start to ask Google these kinds of questions and you go, oh, I could get this machine that costs me two grand. It's a little expensive, but I can't hire people. That's my limitation. Great. But I could hire that machine, so to speak, to do parts of the task for me. And that took me from, let's say, you know, um, an hour for 100 units to doing 100 units in half an hour. Okay, that's a massive improvement. And we just do this via the feedback loops we talk, talked about earlier, right? You just keep iterating and making things better. This is something I, I think a lot about when I'm interacting with my prep centers. Uh, I put some of my thoughts down uh, on, on virtual paper, if you will. I'll put a link in the show notes about building an efficient wholesale workflow. Uh, it's the first part. The second part has it, it, it never seemed to come to the surface. That's, that's entirely on me. But the, the idea that it's trying to convey in this first part anyways is, you know, let's think about all of the steps here in this process first. Like none of what I wrote was actually converting it into what was ultimately going to be a process street workflow. Like we never, none of that ever came up because you can't realistically build something that's going to work until you've actually looked at your process thought about all of the steps and and also considered you know where where the bottlenecks likely to be right so like for me for example to continue using this uh the prep center example you know one of my biggest bottlenecks was ensuring that i could convey all of the right information to the prep center the first time right like there were a lot of things they don't need to know and they don't like they don't care to know right like they don't need to know who I ordered it from, like what day I ordered it on. Like they just need to know things like what are the tracking numbers? You know, what's in that box, right? What do we need to do with it, right? Those kinds of thoughts. If, you know, in this example, to take it even farther, if they're asking me for follow-up information, like that's the prime example of that feedback I need to improve it for the next time. So it got to the point where I never heard from them. The only way I knew they were doing their job was because I saw them creating the shipments in Amazon Seller Central and then inventory was appearing, right? That's how I knew it was working because I I no longer had to check on it. I no longer had to say, hey, did you guys get this, this kicked out? Because it was just happening. They had all of the information they need. It all made sense. And that was it, right? And so I just, all I have to do is go in, click on a few things, fill in some fields. Some of it's for me. Some of it's for them. And then I go on about my day, go on doing something else, right? Like I don't have to sit and send an email and plug in all of these things and and do all this stuff and then follow up with them. Hey, does this, all of this make sense? It's self-confirming and it's beautiful. Some prep centers have their own interfaces for things like that, which is also great. You know, you'll, you'll find a, a balance that works, but the idea here is that if you don't hear from them, you're doing it right. Right. Like that's, that's, you know, that's an example of an achievable goal here. So I, I tried to touch on that as much as I could in the article it's been a while there's probably good things we're updating in there but the idea is still sound you have to look at the entire process first 
look at you know if if you were if you were on the other end of this what what of this is actually important to you what do you need to know like in what order and I'll give you a great example, which is exactly that, the other end of it. So I helped co-found a prep center in Oregon and I'm in Florida, right? So like literally across the country. Um, and part of my role there is is helping them take my knowledge of like Zapier or Airtable and, and build internal systems, right? Because you're not going to launch with, and we talked about this earlier, you're not going to launch with like a web app. Like you're, you're just not going to do that, right? Right. And a prep center is an ideal example for needing yes. SOPs, right? Because right. they're going to be repeating the same tasks over and over again. High volume. Right. They're going to need to be as efficient as possible in doing all of that because time is money. Yeah, 100%. Right. And so the way we approached it was okay, we're starting from zero, but we're making decisions with the idea that this needs to be able to support and scale to 30,000 units per month. Now, here's what's great the way we approached it, which is from that lens, They've been able to scale from day one so quickly. They don't have a problem of operations. They don't have a problem of prep. They have a problem of like, you know, we could add 30 new clients right now and be fine. But, you know, they're just, they're, they're optimizing that process even further. Here's what's cool. I'm a big fan of something called lean manufacturing. So I geek out with this stuff. Um, the reason for it is it's, it's the Toyota production system. So TPS. So to- Toyota, you know, back in the day in Japan, Japan had terrible manufacturing. Like it was garbage. The founder of Toyota decided, you know what? There's a way to make this better. So lean manufacturing, there's there's a lot of principles here, but they get rid of waste. The best way to look at it is you reduce waste, right? Like me having to send you an email if I don't have to is wasteful, but you might still need that information. So I approach everything from that lens. Um, I, I literally geek out with TPS and lean manufacturing like I do with automation. One of the, the principles here is called the Gimba. So the gimbal is like the assembly floor. So what's interesting is in a lean manufacturing company, the president cannot go up to somebody who works on the line and say, you need to change this. You don't have the right to do that unless you've worked on the gimba. If you haven't done the work, you don't get to say that because you have assumptions. So the people who are doing the work, oddly enough, are the ones who have the best ideas of how to make it better. Instead of So I had some assumptions when we built the first version of this system. And I knew that. I told them that. Hey, this, is, this has built-in assumptions. We're going to figure it out. But what's great is when I finally had like, you know, a weekend break, I flew from Florida to Oregon for two days and prepped inventory myself. Now, this is the guy who has always used a prep center, never wanted to touch inventory, don't want to do that myself. But from that side of it, I could not say this is a good system or a bad system until I was on the Gimba. And so I flew there and all we did was prep inventory and and it was fun. And I learned a lot. I was like, oh, this is painful because of X, Y, and Z. So what's great is I'm now taking this knowledge and rebuilding the system to make it better. Again, a feedback loop, right? And so one of the things we looked at was how do we still give the, the client communication? Because you need to be in the loop of where everything's at. But that doesn't mean I as a human need to send you an email or something like that. So guess what we did? I use Zapier and whenever... So we use Airtable for like the back end, so to speak, like the database. Whenever an order is updated from status of, you know, in prep to shipped, Zapier gets fired off. It finds them in Slack because we use Slack for communication with clients. It finds their username, says, hey, their name, just letting you know this order with the unique ID just went out the door. And because we're using Airtable, we have unique views. So everything that a client has sent us regardless of where, you know, what state status it's in, 
they can view that on, on, on their browser. So they also get that link. That's completely dynamic. Now, why that's important is that still needs to get done, but it's wasteful to have a human do it, right? But it still needs to get done. So this is where like automation and SOPs kind of converge really well. But what's important is we, we took a process because um, I was talking to, to Chaz um, who, who runs it last night and this new system, because based off the feedback loop that we've been using is so much better, better. They're like, I don't know how we're getting so much done in terms of prep per day, like even prep per hour, like it's astounding. Like we like three times the amount we can get done in an hour, but not by adding new people. It's by, it's by looking at the process. Right. And so when I was there, I was like, listen, this sounds weird, but you guys are using Scotty peelers. Cause they do a lot of like OA work as well. I was like, but you're kind of just, you know, throwing it on the table, so to speak. So you might lose it or it might get knocked off and you're like, ah, oh, we don't know where to put it. So I literally took a, a, a Dynamo like roll, like those little cardboard rolls. Fun fact, if you put those on a peg, two Scotty peelers fit perfectly in it. So they, they already had a peg wall on the wall in front of them. I said, listen, we're going to we're going to shadow board this thing. Your tape gun goes here every single time. If it's not there, it better be in your hand. The reason for that is we don't want to lose things because if we're if we have to stop work to go find something, that's waste. Or Scotty peelers, don't set it down because it might get knocked over. You have to waste to bend over to pick it up. Instead, Scotty peelers always go here. And so now you're not looking for things. Now you're not wasting that time because the client's not paying for that, right? And so from, from the lean manufacturing standpoint, it's wasteful if a client's not paying you to do it and you're getting it done. That's the point, right? Like if you're like, no client's going to pay you to go find your, your tape gun. I'm paying you to prep. So if you're not prepping, we have a problem. So how do we, how do we take a process, the procedure, which by the way, this is not just like 5,000 units of one thing. It's a lot of variety. It might be two units of, of, of SKU A and like 30 units of SKU B and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of variety. But we can generalize a process to work so well that they can scale and not have a problem of, you know, we need to hire new people. They're like, no, we're good. And we're going to keep getting better. And what's great is the people that they do have are being trained to view these things, to view waste and say, listen, if you think of a better way to make your job more easy, Tell me, show me, teach me, and let's implement that so we're all getting that knowledge. And so, you know, the business two weeks from now is going to be completely different than it is today. And that's where processes come into place, right? Like, how do you do every single task? And then how do you consistently make that task better? That's when, when you build a culture where people love working for you and love the, the job that they do. Like, because it's fun, right? Like, it's creative in that regard. Using, using the tape gun as an example... I'm thinking about, you know, all of the orders that I've filled in the last, you know, month or so. I have a tape gun. I, I love my tape gun. It's great. But I start thinking, how can I, how can I make this easier? And then I started reflecting on uh, an Amazon warehouse tour I did. They have basically, it's not quite a tape printing machine, but it's an automatic tape dispenser that, that just spits out a tape of this exact length and you just apply it, right? Yeah, they're great. They're super cool. A lot of high volume warehouses especially in any kind of third-party logistics provider, they're probably not just manually tape gunning things down, right? They see so many packages go in and out. They don't have time for that, right? Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for those who are really curious, but Uline sells. And they're not that expensive. No, they're not no, that expensive. Because we, we looked at them, by the way, because I was like, why, why do we even need to tape? Now, we're not at a point where it makes sense to, to invest in that, I would say, like, but we're on the cusp of it. But we're already asking these questions. Guys, there are automated pallet jacks. Oh, yeah. 
like if you if you deal with pallets and you're moving pallets around, is that really a good use of your time? Is that really a good procedure to have where you could say, I'll just give it to a robotic <laughs> pallet jack and they're not that expensive either. And now that consistency from a process standpoint is 100%. That's pretty cool. Uline makes um, a tape dispenser that has pre preset lengths right on the surface. So like if you know like what size box you need, push that button, boop tape comes out it's it uses like the the moistening like you tape where you're like the 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 tape equivalent of licking an envelope essentially it comes out wet you just slap it on and you move on right like you don't have to grab your tape gun pull out your tape make sure it's not stuck and then apply it and then do the maneuver to keep it straight and cut it off at the end like it's it's i mean it's what nine hundred dollars plus the cost of the tape like it's it's not cheap it's obviously you know multiples more expensive than a tape gun but if you're cranking out hundreds and hundreds of boxes a day think about how much extra time you know even if it takes you like an extra 10 seconds to apply that tape manually if you've cranked out a thousand boxes that day and you did it all manually that's ten thousand seconds you've spent taping that you could probably save on something else. And for those who are doing the math, that's almost three hours. If you if you manage to get 10,000 boxes on a day now, granted, maybe one person can't, but if you're thinking about, you know, you have your, your, your army of helpers in your warehouse, if you can find some way for those people to put three more hours of productivity into their day without making them work longer, like that's exactly the point here. That's, if, if nothing else, this is a prime example of what exactly we're talking about taking just a little bit of time out of each step and then as the day goes on as the weeks pass and you multiply that by your staff for example that time adds up and now all of a sudden because you've done 20 percent more than you were before for example you can either have them do more things and get more done basically getting more done with less right i believe that was the the topic of last week's episode, right? This is the physical, the physical <laughs> angle of that, right? Yeah. Or, you know, they can go on and do something that's interesting to them. Maybe, you know, side projects, right? Or, you know, they can go home early, right? What, like, whatever you want. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's the idea. And yeah, it does cost a bit upfront, right? Like, I personally wouldn't spend $900 on a tape dispenser. Maybe. I mean... But you might in three months. And exactly. I think that's the important point, right? It's not that like everybody should go spend like 20 grand on like equipment. It's where are you at right now? And this is where managerial accounting comes into play, right? Managerial accounting sounds daunting. That was the easiest class of all time because <laughs> it was like, here's two decisions. Do the math. Which one makes more money? That's the one you go with. So you you can do the math, right? You could say, yeah, I could theoretically save 10 seconds for every single box. How many boxes am I doing? What does that actually correlate into dollars and cents? That one decision, depending on where you're at, could either be actually you would lose money because you're just not high enough volume or two, it would break even, but it would at least be more fun because I'm a dork and I like robots, right? Or three, it could be a decision that you make that one decision and it adds an extra thousand dollars a month in net profit to your business. And I think that's the lens of which you should view processes from, right? It's not just the physical. It's not just software. It's those are the utilities. Those are the methods through which we're executing on these, these efficiencies and um, you know, solving all this waste. These decisions, I'm telling you, if you can view it from that standpoint, everything gets easy. Oh my gosh, it's so great. I mean, think about like, you know, I love when people go, oh, it takes me like two hours to go grocery shopping. I'm like, dude, it takes me like 30 minutes. <laughs> and half the time, you know, if I'm super busy, I'll just get it on Instacart and have it delivered to me. If somebody wants to see 
efficient grocery shopping, I, I'll, I'll I'll sit you down with my wife and she can explain how how she does it because she's so down. <laughs> she writes the list. So I, when I we, we have her list on the fridge, you know, regular notepad, right? We're kind of old school like that. I say old school, like that's how people have been doing it for decades, right? Um, you know, write things down. I kind of just put stuff on there, but she writes things down on the paper kind of by group like where it exists in the store by aisle yeah and maybe not specifically by aisle because somehow our safeway seems to reorganize things every day practically so you know we we kind of found a, a happy medium she'll write things down by group and if i'm not paying attention when we're at the store we could be in and out in like 20 minutes 15 minutes right and i'm all of a sudden i'm just like what the hell happened like i didn't even get a chance to think about what <laughs> what i wanted to get that wasn't on the list because she has a system and it it's great. It's probably better for my waistline that I don't have time to think about that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, right, right. But like that's this, this concept could apply to so many different things in your life. And I'm probably someone who needs a lot of help in this area. <laughs> sure. Most people do. And let's, let's talk about a few resources. Cause I think it's important to like, okay, that's cool. But like, where do I start and, and, you know, what can I read and all this, this cool stuff, right? So there, there's a few books. A few of them are actually free on the site of the, the, the site of the book. So, so one that I found incredibly helpful. So if you've ever read E-Myth Revisited, I think it's a decent book. I think it's a bit too high level and too conceptual. It's not very tactile, right? Like I, I can't really like execute on that very well. Like, cool, I get it. I'm, you know, there's the innovator and then there's the manager. And I, I, okay, cool, dude. But like, what's my steps here? Sam Carpenter wrote a book called Work the System. If you go to workthesystem.com, it's literally free on his site. It is fantastic. And it's been updated nine times. And it's like, okay, that's the e-myth revisited kind of like touchy-feely. Like, here's a cool introduction to a concept. Work the system is like li literally, here's how I took a semi-failing company in Bend, Oregon, a call center, and turned it around using systems, systems thinking. So this will introduce you to how to view things as a system, right? Because a process is, ju is just a system. And you have to get to a point where you view things, ideally everything, as a system. This book is fantastic. It's a very quick read, but it's something that you can see somebody go from start to finish with and be like, oh, that makes sense. Here's where I can start. So one, start with work the system. Mike Michalowicz came out with a book recently called Clockwork. I really enjoyed it. Um, I interviewed him on on Wholesale Made Easy towards the end there. It was just a good book. It really is like, it's a little bit more specific on on in, in regards to like how to build dashboards to very quickly like have visuals, right? If something's red, we got a problem there. Let's go solve it. If it's green, I don't need to worry about it. We're good. He presents the idea of like, if you had to take a two week vacation, could you do it? And then like what would need to happen, right? So that's where I got that from. Work the System, fantastic book, relatively cheap, I would say. I, I just got it on Kindle. Um, again, a very quick read, highly recommended. Um, there's another book that I have not read but is recommended heavily, which I'm going to probably read here shortly, called The Checklist Manifesto. And the idea behind that book is it was written by Dr. Um, Anul, I forget his last name, um, incredible guy. I've, I've heard him speak multiple times. Surgeons did not use checklists. They just kind of went with what they thought was supposed to happen. So you have a you have a high mortality rate, right? It's not really a good thing. But what's interesting is they did a test and they said, okay, let's give doctors or surgeons a checklist that they have to follow with every single thing they do. And you can reduce mortality rates dramatically by just following the steps. Because one, you didn't forget one, right? Like <laughs> you had to do it one, two, three. It's it's a linear fashion, as Sam Carpenter likes to say. Everything in life is a system and it is linear. One leads to two, two leads to three, so on and so forth. Um, this book, very small book, very quick read, um, as at least just 
you know, visually looking at it, but it talks about checklists. Now checklists, you know, call it a procedure, call it an SOP. It doesn't matter. I think it's a good place to start. If you can read those, those three books, I think you're vastly ahead of the majority of people from a business standpoint, because you're viewing things completely different and you're asking interesting questions and you're completely changing your perspective. I'll throw one more in here, kind of more on the personal level. Uh, the Miracle Morning, yeah, yeah, is a book that I'm I'm probably about halfway through at this point. The the I won't give it away because obviously the goal here is for you to read these books and take things away from it. But the the idea here is taking a lot of this you know kind of routine building, finding patterns that work for you, and apply it to like your personal life. Like in this case, your morning routine, right? Like find find what's what's getting you stuck kind of in your head about wanting to be a morning person for lack of better words like people say they're not morning people everyone can be if if this book is to be believed everyone can be a morning person you know to an extent i think he's right like you know there there have been things that i you know i think about and i reflect on and you know gradually i find mornings to be less of a pain in the ass you know Dylan gives me a hard time because he says I'm an engineer, so I don't get up until 11 a.m. And, you know, (laughs) if I didn't need to, then I probably wouldn't, to be honest with you. But I have found reasons to. I have found things that I could do in the morning that are productive and that are helpful. And that kind of sort of it builds that motivation over time. And then that habit starts to form, follows in behind it. And now all of a sudden, before you know it, you're a morning person. You know, like it's just that, you know, it's. I don't want to say it's just that easy because everyone's going to have different levels of difficulty with it, but, but it's that simple. The, I think that's like right, the idea part. is not complex at all. And it's literally that simple for business. Right. I think when I, when I look historically back at what we accomplished with or in such a relatively short period of time, I'm kind of like, I don't know how <laughs> it would be easy for me to be like, Oh, we're, we're smart because like it was perfectly well designed and that's just not the case. I think we just, we, we utilize feedback loops and we're consistently doing that. Like we're, you know, about to release some new stuff based off feedback loops. Um, but we viewed everything from the get go from from systems perspective, because me and James were both in full time in, in classes while starting this together. And so we didn't have time. We I, I couldn't put 80 hours a week into this because I had to spend another you know 20 to 30 just on classes alone. And so we had to make tough decisions and say, OK, we do have time limit limitations, but how do I take you know, 80 hours worth of work and pack it into 40. Turns out you can do that and not actually hate your life. It's actually kind of very enjoyable. And I, that's really what sparked my, my love for automation. Automation is just an extension of systems thinking. That's all it is. It's, it's another utility to say, okay, I, you know, I can't reduce this any further, but at least a, a computer can do that. Well, great. Now I'm saving a ton of time, right? It's, there is no different than realizing that Instacart costs you an extra $15 per week, but that saves you two hours of your time that you get to spend with your family. If you view and value spending time with your family more than the $15, then you should make that decision. Or it's, you know, I don't have time. I don't have an hour to go to the gym once a week. Okay, well, if we make this decision, now you do, it's going to cost you 15 bucks a week. Is that worth it to you? If yes, then move forward. If not, then don't do it. So you can view, you can view this from a personal or a business, a professional standpoint, but either way, it's a framework that just works. And it's very interesting because it makes life easier. That's what's so, I mean, I did this on the personal front where I, I, I got out of a bad relationship and was like, all right, I'm a little hefty now. I want to lose some weight. And I created a system around it and I made it easy and I didn't want to spend, you know, 
every single day in the gym for an hour. Um, and I was a personal trainer. I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I said, okay, well, how can I do three days a week, three hours and make it work? And I did. And I got down, I lost like 20 something pounds, but I got down to like around 8%, maybe eight and a half percent body fat. And it wasn't difficult. It wasn't like I was working super hard and putting in tons of hours. I just, I had the, the process, the procedure down and I just followed that. And then what's great is because it was determined beforehand, I didn't have to wake up every single day and make that decision, right? So decision fatigue is terrible. When you have things written down in a linear fashion of one leads to two leads to three and so on and so forth, you just execute on it, right? You don't have to, to waste your behavioral decisions to say, does this make sense right now? You already made that decision beforehand. You just follow the process and it works. I think one of the easiest ways to get your mind in, get your mind in the right spot here to start thinking about this differently you had, you had said, and, and this really caught my attention, you said, how do I get 80 hours of work done in 40 hours? I think in a way you could translate that into how do I get 80 hours worth of product created in 40 hours? Or how do I get 80 hours of effort condensed into 40 hours? You know, instead of looking at it as, you know, I have things that take 80 hours, I need to somehow do it all faster. It's how do I how do I produce that same amount in less time? Like look at it as the, as the end product versus trying to find some magical ways to shrink and, you know, efficiency, efficient size. If that's not even a word, <laughs> efficient right. size. <laughs> make, make your processes more efficient, right? If you look at, at the end goal, how do I, how do I get all of this to exist faster? I think that's going to help a lot. Cause I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, if I, if, if I'm thinking, you know, I have 80 hours of work to do. I only have 40 hours to do it, right? All of a sudden, now you feel this existential dread come on, right? Like you're, you're setting yourself up, kind of, you're, you're, you're already back a couple steps because, you know, immediately you start feeling overwhelmed. All right, now I only have half the time to do it in. You know, like it's, it's that, that feeling, like if you ever had a boss to tell you, okay, and, you know, you had a week to do this, now you have a day, right? You just put that pressure on yourself and you haven't even started yet. Yeah, it's Parkinson's law. However long you give a task is how long it's going to take. And so I think for you to say I have 80 hours worth of stuff to get done, how did you calculate the 80? Maybe that's a false assumption. Maybe you're just thinking about it through an inefficiency you know, lens. But if you start asking, and here's the thing, ask hard questions, right? This is how I got into the whole like, you know, watch hacking and like travel hacking. So just asking ridiculous questions. I asked a guy the other day because I knew he was a pilot. It's like, how could I get a plane for free? It's a ridiculous question. But I was like, no, I'm being serious. I want you to really think it through. You know more about planes than I do. And sure enough, he gave me, he's like, you know what? This could actually work. And I've kind of seen somebody do this, but I didn't think about how they were doing it or why they were doing it. But this is how he did it. Great. Now I know how to do that. Now, is it easy to do? Of course not. So it would still cost like $2 million to pull it off. But like, you could do it. You could theoretically do it. That's, that's the grandiose version. The simple version is your day-to-day life. I've got 16 hours worth of work that needs to get done today. How do I get it done in eight hours? When you ask interesting questions, you get amazing answers. And I think too many people don't want to ask questions about what they do or how they do things, right? It's very meta. It's a very new age kind of thing, right? It's like, how do you do what you do? How do you engineer, right? Like, because the way you do engineering might be completely different than the way I do engineering. And you might know things that I don't know. I think that's very important, like how you do the work. Should you even do the work? Ask those questions, right? Like, are, are you even doing things that matter? Because the thing that, that, that might take the additional eight hours actually won't yield any ROI, in which case you can just toss that out. And guess what? 
Now you, you reduce it to eight hours and you didn't lose any productivity. You still got the same outcome you anticipated, but you didn't waste your time. But that's, that's how you do it. I mean, listen, there, there's, there's a method to my madness. I know it seems like a lot. I was doing a, a, a live yesterday. I, I got to do another live today, actually just talking about automation and like visually showing what I do. And it's a lot, but it took me years to get here, but it all stems from, I just don't want to waste my time. And I want to make sure that I have consistency, like, because you know, having to get good grades in college at a high level and run a business and succeed and all this stuff, like it's not easy. And, and it's very easy to forget things. So how do I solve the problem of me never forgetting things? Or how do I solve the problem of me making sure that I always get good grades? I create systems, I create SOPs. Like it sounds like ridiculous, but it works. And I think by viewing it as ridiculous, you kind of downplay the outcome it's enabling you to get. But if you can just start to test it, you're like, oh, interesting. It, I mean, literally, we played with this last night. I was like, okay, you know, if 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 laundry takes you two hours and you just loathe laundry, how do you get it down to one hour? Because you can still loathe it, but at, at least it takes half the amount of time. You can loathe it for an hour or, or two hours. You get to pick. But let's start to ask that question. And now we can figure things out. The answer is not throw your clothes away and buy new ones. Which <laughs> admittedly, is the fastest way to have clean clothes as far as the amount of effort you individually put into it. It is also by far the most expensive. So unless Slightly. you have, unless you're at the point in your life where you can literally light money on fire, don't pick that one. Please. Right. <laughs> I'll see what I said last night on, on the live, which is just start with your biggest problem. Start with the task of which if I gave you an easy button said, if you slap this button, I will take your most painful task. The task of which every time you go to start to do it, you push it off and you just it gives you anxiety. You think about it at night, like that task, you know what it is. If you could slap an easy button and solve that task, what would it be? Great. I can't give you actually an easy button to just make it eliminate. But what I can do is give you a framework and a process to start looking at how to make it better. It might be a SOP. It might be making things more consistent. It might be automation. It might be not doing it again because it actually doesn't do anything for you. Um, you know, the utility, the, the method for which solving it is not as important. What is important is by you viewing it as an opportunity to make your life better. And if we can view it from that standpoint, all those crazy hard problems that you just, you loathe to work on becomes exciting because you're like, yeah, I'm about to, I'm about to dominate this thing and I'm going to take it from an hour to 10 minutes per day. And now I actually don't even hate the task. It's actually kind of fun because I feel like I'm winning the whole time. I'm sitting here smiling, thinking about how can that 30 minute crap on the toilet be more productive? <laughs> Take your phone and read. See, boom, we're stacking. We're good to go. Listen to podcasts. Listen to this podcast. Yes, That's how you do it. it. That was easy.